you guys would turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter number six and then also Daniel chapter one, you know, I really love this church. It's, you know, I love this church probably more than any other church in the world just because of the impact that this church has in my life. And I know a lot of you have even joined this church after I was gone. And, I, and, I, and it's funny, I just said to somebody that I've been in Indiana now twice as long as I was a member of this church. But it was just a small blip of time in my life, but it was such a crucial time. And I look back to my teenage years especially that I needed this church. I needed, I needed the, the men in this church. I appreciate the men in this church that invested with, in me as a teenager, uh, as a young man that was just trying to figure out life. And I appreciate the men in our church that invested in my life and, and, and took some interest in me and, and showed me how it meant to be a good father and, and just a good Christian man and, and taught me, whether it was Mr. Vasek in Sunday school or even Brother Rob on the weekends on the boat on Candlewood Lake, it was just about learning and investing in my life about how to do right and make good decisions and, and have God prepare me for my future. And that short amount of time that I spent at this church just really changed my life, and, I, and I'm just going to be eternally grateful in heaven for this church and, and for the men in this church. And I appreciate your guys' investment into this area and to the young people, um, investing in the next generation and, and the investment that you made in my life. What I want you guys to turn to in, in Galatians chapter number 6, I'll read three verses and pray, and then we'll get into the message tonight. The Bible says in, in Galatians chapter number 6, verse number 7, it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth in his flesh shall reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. Verse number 9 says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us here tonight. Thank you for family night. Thank you for the families that came. Thank you for the enjoyable time to come together in fellowship, hear good music, Lord. But now open your word and, Lord, learn a truth from your word, Lord, that we can apply to our life as we, Lord, try to live a life that's honor and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The Bible talks here about sowing and reaping. And the whole chapter talks about those that reap in the Spirit reaping life everlasting, eternal things, godly things, and those that, that reap carnally or fleshly things reap corruption. And that's what the whole chapter's about. But when I read these verses about sowing and reaping, I remember moving out, out to the Midwest and living out here, and you don't see much farmers around here, okay? <laughs> whether, whether my family lived in the city or we moved up to Connecticut, you don't find many large farmers growing corn in New Milford, Okay? <laughs> They might be growing other things in their backyard, but not, it's not corn and, and different things in New Milford or, or Brookfield or Danbury. There's not many large farmers. But as I moved out west, you would see fields and fields of cornfields, and it's like, oh, this is where all our food came from. And those farmers that sowed all that time, all that investment into plowing the field and planting something and watering it and waiting for it to grow finally to see the end result. And in my life, we have those same things that we sow in or we invest in and we get a result. You know, in my relationship, next week is me and my wife's fifth anniversary of, of marriage. And that's, and that's wonderful. But I remember the early years where it started with a text message and, and letters and dates and little things that added up to a monumental defining moment which was walking, seeing her walk down the aisle and getting married. But all of that was just a culmination 
of those letters, those phone calls, those text messages, those dates that finally helped me talk her into marrying me, right? It's the same thing with, with graduations. We just, we just saw Amanda and Lauren graduate a, a few weeks ago out at the college, and, and that's just, that graduation moment is just a culmination. It's just a defining moment of them going to class every day and studying and writing papers and, 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 and passing classes and going semester after semester that, that all led up to a big graduation moment. That was the defining moment of their college career, but it was a culmination of all the things that they've done before. Today, I want to talk to you guys about those defining moments in our lives. And I'm not talking about defining moments in terms of big moments like a wedding or a graduation. I'm not talking about defining moments like when you see athletes hold up that trophy, and that trophy just represents hours and hours and hours of them hitting a ball or shooting a basket. Those hours of practice, those hours of training that led to that championship. That was the defining moment, but it was the little things that led up to that. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about the moments in our life where our Christianity is revealed. It's a defining moment. But when it comes to defining moments in our lives, our defining moments are determined by our daily decisions. Our daily decisions determine what that defining moment is going to look like. When the, when the diagnosis from the, from the doctor comes, whether it's good or bad, how we respond to that is our defining moment. How things happen in our life and in our marriages and, and when a child runs from the Lord or when our marriage is on the rocks. A lot of those defining moments are determined by the things that we decide every single day on how it's revealed, on what's on the inside. Because I don't know about you, a lot of us have gone to church, uh, we go to church and we show up and we can go through all the motions, but sometimes defining moments come in a Christian's life and then they just fall flat in their faith and you say, what happened? They were at church every week. They sang in the choir. They rode the bus. They taught a Sunday school class, but when a moment came where it was make or break for their faith, they fell flat for the Lord. Because it's about the daily decisions that we make. I want you guys to turn over to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel is an amazing character in the Bible. God doesn't say one bad word about Daniel. And Daniel was a man who was kidnapped, <laughs> taken from his home in, in, in Israel and brought to a foreign land as a slave. It was a place where they decided a new name for him, a new language. They decided early on that he was going to partake in a certain lifestyle that would guarantee him not having a family for the rest of his life, and, and, his, and his whole family line would end with him. And they wanted him to do the things that they did in, in their heathen way that was against God. Daniel had a lot going against him. He had a lot of things in his life that happened to him that wasn't his decision Yet when Daniel had defining moments in his life, he always stood up to the plate and hit a home run. And I just want to show you guys a couple things that Daniel did in his life that when defining moments came in Daniel's life that were make it or break it for him, he was able to not only get through it but excel 
with a great testimony for the Lord. The first one is when Daniel arrives in Babylon, they immediately tell him, you need to change your lifestyle. You need to eat what we eat. We need to drink what, you need to drink what we drink. And Daniel said to them in, in Daniel chapter 1, if you look down at verse number 8, the Bible says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat or the wine. Because he didn't want to disobey God's commandments. Daniel said, I'm going to purpose in my heart that whatever they say to me that, I'm, that they're going to ask me to do that's contrary to what God told me to do and what God is telling me to do, I'm going to purpose in my heart and I'm going to have a commitment to God that I'm going to stand with God 100% of the time. You know, a lot of times when those defining moments come in our life, the defining moment here in Daniel chapter 1 is when he stands before them after making that decision and he's 10 times better than the other men. That was the defining moment. But the defining moment didn't come if Daniel didn't decide, do you know what, I'm going to live a life committed to what God is telling me to do. And in our lives, we're going to have situations where we say we could take the easy road. We can compromise here. We can make a decision, and it, 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 hopefully I can make this decision. It's the easy decision to make, but hopefully if I compromise here, God's still going to bless me. And God's saying, no, I'm looking for Christians that are going to be committed to say, when everybody's telling me to do this, I'm going to follow God's word. And I hope as a family, as parents, that as we're making decisions for our family's future, you know, I heard a preacher say that it's a slow drift. It's not, it's not people that are crashing off the side of the road. It's just people veering off slowly, and then they crash. And sometimes we just make slow decisions that gets our families off course, that gets our own personal life off course. But it starts with making a daily commitment that I'm going to follow what God is commanding me to do. I'm going to make decisions on a daily basis that are, that are obedient to God's word. I'm going to obey God's word on a daily basis. Number two, I want you guys to turn over to Daniel chapter number two. Daniel's ten times better. Him and his friends, they excel above the other eunuchs that are there, but then they hit another crisis. Another defining moment shows up in Daniel's life. In Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And not only does he have a dream, he forgets the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king, the leader over the whole land, says, I want you men to not only interpret my dream, you guys need to tell me what I dreamed. What did you dream? I don't remember. How many of you have ever had a dream you couldn't remember when you woke up in the morning? And Nebuchadnezzar gets so frustrated with his men, the astrologers and, and different men, that he says, Daniel being a part of that group, he says, if you guys can't interpret my dream or even tell me what it is, I'm going to just kill all of you. And some of us forget that these are real stakes here in Daniel chapter 2. This is just not what we read, oh, we know that Daniel chapter 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and so on is going to happen. In this situation for Daniel, it's we interpret this dream or the rest of the book of Daniel doesn't exist. If we can't come up with what this guy dreamed and interpret it, we're dead men. We're goners. And I want you guys to turn and see what Daniel's response is. Spoiler alert <laughs> to the end of the chapter, Daniel does interpret the dream. That's the defining moment. The defining moment is the dream is interpreted. But how did he get there? How he got there 
is in Daniel chapter 2, verse number 17. It says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, which is the Hebrew names of the men that you see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3. That they would, verse number 18 says, that they would desire mercies of God, of heaven, concerning this secret. Talking about the dream. Daniel goes to his companions. His companions. I'm glad in this moment, this defining moment in Daniel's life, Daniel surrounded himself with companions that helped him seek the Lord. I don't know about you, but in my life, I am a huge testimony of having the right companions. Friends and people that are your closest confidants and influences in your life can make it or break it sometimes. Solomon's own son split the kingdom in the Old Testament because he listened to his friends. Divided a whole nation because he decided that his friend's advice was better than what other people told him. And the Bible tells us those principles time and time again. Iron is sharpeneth iron. So does the countenance of a friend. The Bible talks about the importance of the people that you surround yourself with. Your biggest sphere of influence. You know, some of you young people need to understand that sometimes when you're 15, 16, 17 years old, if, if you had a decision to make, sometimes you listen to your friends more than your parents. Because in your mind, your friend's opinion is more viable than some leaders in your life. And that's just reality of every teenager. We've all gone through that. Where our, our, friends, our friends' advice are more important than what other people think. And that's why it's so important in our life that we surround ourselves with good people that are going to lead us closer to the Lord. I'm glad that Daniel had friends here that brought him closer to the Lord, not away from him. That were on the same page and said, yeah, Daniel, we'll seek the Lord with you. We'll see what God wants us to do about this. We'll do this God's way. God's going to take care of us. But so oftentimes in our life, we, when situations come, we, we call up a friend. They say, well, well, you should respond this way. And sometimes our, their advice is the most ungodly advice. Yet we say, oh, that, yeah, that sounds good. But it's against what God says. And sometimes we listen to our closest companions. It doesn't matter if you're 13 years old or 33 or 63. We all have people in our lives that they, they have our heart. They have our heart. They have our ear. We listen to what they say. And sometimes in our lives we have to evaluate, are these people influencing me to be closer to God or farther away from God? Because that friend that you have, that companion that you have, might determine where you stand when that defining moment comes. The next is in Daniel chapter number 3. Daniel has been put through a few situations. Now it's up to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You just heard about them. But Nebuchadnezzar puts up a large statue and says, everybody should bow down to me. And these friends decided, do you know what? We're not going to do that. We're not going to bow down to anybody against God. And the Bible says in Daniel chapter number 3, verse 17, if it be so, our God, who we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. What, what profound faith in God that these three young men have, that they were willing to stand up no matter what the consequences were in terms of their faith to obey God. 
And I'll tell you this, as I read through the book of Daniel and I was studying this out, so much more relevant this chapter is to 2021 Christians than probably in the past 200 years of America. Of times where in our generation, we're going to have to stand for our faith in dicey situations. Where the world is going to say the Bible's wrong and we're right and we have to say otherwise. And I hope that we have... We, have, we can stand up for God in those, when those times come. That we're like these men in those times that we can stand for our faith. That we could say when the defining moment comes where I have to stand for my faith, whatever, you, whatever God puts in my place, I'm always going to stand for truth and I'm going to stand for God's word. And that's going to be tough as time goes on. But like these men did, they, they were able to get through that defining moment because they stood for the Lord. The defining moment for them was the moment that they stood out of that fiery furnace and they were not burned at all, not even singed. And they had a great testimony. There was a fourth man in that furnace who looked like the Son of God. And what a great testimony to Nebuchadnezzar because those men stood for their faith. And sometimes we think, well, we're not going to end up out of the fire. You feel the pressure, you feel the heat. <laughs> And sometimes we don't stand for our faith at work, at school, in our neighborhoods, because we feel the heat. And sometimes when we stand for God, God says, you stand for me, I'll stand for you. And I'll take care of you. If you take me up on my promises, then I'll stand for you. And that's what God did for them. Quickly, moving forward, two more things if you guys turn over. Chapter 4 and 5. Chapter 4, God humbles Nebuchadnezzar, makes him, in, makes him roam the field as an animal. And God, at the end of the chapter, God just proves to Nebuchadnezzar, I don't care how powerful you are, I can abase you. I can humble you. And it's just a great reminder to me in Daniel chapter 4 that no matter where you are in life, God's going to humble you. And God's going to bring things in your life that are going to bring you to a place where you're going to be dependent on him. And that's just a place that I want to be on a continuous basis, is just completely dependent on God and I don't want to act like an animal out there for God to have to prove it to me. I just want to be humble before the Lord. Amen. Chapter number five talks about Nebuchadnezzar's grandson who defiles the things of the temple and God's finally done. He sends in the Medes and the Persians. They conquer the place and they wipe it out. Daniel was able to show the writing on the wall. You've heard that word before and that's all Daniel chapter five. You see the writing on the wall. That's, that's a reference to Daniel chapter 5 when people say that's a biblical reference. But as you go through Daniel chapter 5, now they're taken over. So not only was Daniel a prisoner from Jerusalem into Babylon, now Babylon is taken over by another nation. Yet, when you look in Daniel chapter number 6, after all that, Daniel, a, a, a man that came as a slave, then it, to a country that was taken over, Daniel is continually promoted. Unbelievable. You would think Daniel had nothing going for him. He was a slave. And now in chapter 6, after another country takes over the country that he was a slave in, they promote him to, to, to the princes and the presidents over, his, over the course of his life. And you see that in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 says, And this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was found in him, and the king thought of him over the whole realm. That's, that's some big status. But the two reasons that they found that was Daniel had great character in two areas. 
He had an excellent spirit, and he was faithful. And God looks for those things. God looks for those things in, in Christianity. God looks for those type of people in a local church, people that are faithful and people that have an excellent spirit, people that you just like to be around them, people that no matter the situation, they say, I'm going to love the Lord, I'm going to follow the Lord, I'm going to be happy because God saved me and I just want to give back. They have an excellent spirit about them. But he was faithful. Are you faithful today? Are you faithful to church? <laughs> you know, that's a great question. I know I'm speaking to the choir, people that come in on Saturday night. But church is tomorrow, and Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and, and, and special things. I'm glad that when the church doors were open, my parents had me here. I'm glad when camp meetings and special speakers were in on Monday and Tuesday night, and my dad would rush in late from work and literally change his clothes and drive from New Milford all the way to Danbury to hear a special speaker until 8.30 at night, like you guys probably heard this week. I'm glad, I'm glad they did it. I'm glad they did it because it was that kind of faithfulness that made the difference for me. Is because they showed up when, when I needed to be there. Maybe they were tired. Maybe they were working jobs. But they made the trip. And by the time it was time for me to decide whether or not I was going, I was going. Not because they were making me going, but I was here. And I wanted to go, but it started with them saying, yeah, we're going to go. It might be inconvenient. But we need to be there. And sometimes the Lord is looking and saying, hey, you need to be there. You need to be around good preaching. You need to be around a good environment. Be, be where the, when the church doors are open. Because that's, that's, the, that's the game changer. Amen. Especially in young people's lives. Good. And then having an excellent spirit. You know, there's nothing worse in a church. You know, and, and I hear in our church of our size down to a church of smaller size. But every church has their critics and is just... You know, the, the preacher can preach something encouraging or, or it doesn't matter what was preached. It's just, you know, some, every, something's found negative about what happened Sunday. And sometimes the Lord's looking down saying, you know, you know, in the book of Psalms, it, says, it is glad that we go into the house of the Lord. It should be a happy thing. But having an excellent spirit. But Daniel's character was the game changer for him when he had defining moments. These other presidents and princes got jealous of him. And they schemed up a plan to have Darius the king sign, sign a decree that anybody that prayed to anybody other than God would be thrown in the lion's den. We all know Daniel in the lion's den. But what was the game changer for him? What was, that, what was, what was that daily decision that Daniel did that helped him in the defining moment of the lion's den? Is that the men knew that Daniel prayed to Jerusalem three times a day. But even when the decree was, was signed, in verse number 10, it says, And when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened into the chamber toward Jerusalem, kneeled upon his knees three times a day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he did a fourth time. Daniel did that. The men caught him, threw him in the lion's den. And in that night, I think Daniel wasn't doing what a lot of us do when we're in desperate situations. I don't think Daniel was freaking out in the lion's den. You know, when we get in a pressure situation, sometimes we're calling God like it's a 911 call. Or it's like, God, you need to show up right this second. I don't think Daniel did that. Because Daniel spent a lot of time in prayer before he reached the... I'm glad that God wasn't a stranger to Daniel in the lion's den. You know, it's, it's different when you call. I can call people. Me, me and Brother Zach live 
thousands of miles away, but if I call him with a favor, you know, I can, I can, I can say, hey, I need to borrow 20 bucks, okay? I'm going to get it in my cash app pretty quick. But if I call somebody else that I haven't talked to in years and say, hey, I need 20 bucks, is a little bit, it's a little different. And Daniel here had a, had a consistency of communion with God that when the time came that when he needed God the most to have a miracle happen, God was right there. It was a no-brainer. But it wasn't because he prayed God in that one night. It was because he did it a four-time. It was something that he did on a daily basis. That's just Daniel. Six chapters, just a couple things that Daniel did. But Daniel had a life that I said before that God, can't, God never in his words says a bad, nothing negative about Daniel. And I think the reason that he did it was because when those defining moments that came, Daniel was in a heathen land yet stood for his faith, and not only just stood for his faith, he, he excelled in his faith and was a great testimony to a whole entire nation because of the daily decisions that he made, that when those defining moments came, God came through every time.